0: Slightly favours the right footer here, but Griffiths, having got the goal, goes again!
1: Quick oh! five and drags it down now, long way over, oh what a goal! Oh, goal! Oh! McCulloch saved it in, Barry Ferguson, down place again, it's there! and Weir comes up, chance goal!
2: Scotland a scored!
1: Welcome to the Hamden Roar podcast. Scotland are on the brink of the Holy Grail after a biblical downpour at Hamden, eventually turning water into a divine three points, which gives us 12 from four games in Group A. What a start it's been to this campaign, the likes of which we literally have never seen before. We have never won the first four games of a qualifying group. So we are in absolute position A at the moment. My guests here, I'm Andy Barge, your, your host. My guests here are Gordon Shearer and Alan Risk. may well tell you that that's us done it. I am inclined to certainly fall on that side of the fence with them, although I won't say or utter those words yet until we've beaten Cyprus away from home in September. But just a, a quick rundown, Gordon and Alan, of where things are at the moment. For anyone who might not have looked at it um, today, we are ahead of Spain comfortably because they were playing in the Nations League this weekend so they were busy winning that which allowed us to stretch our lead at the top so we are 12 points Georgia and Norway on 4 points Georgia have played only 3 games us and Norway have both played 4 Spain are 4th at the moment on 3 points having played 2 in Cyprus are pointless at the bottom Gordon just kind of contextualise what it is I've just said Wow okay <laughs> Jesus um
0: I think I think I think you did you did a good job there look we are absolutely we are in uncharted territory with this team I mean this is just absolutely this this is this is pinch yourself territory as a Scotland fan you know to see to see Scotland win our first four qualifiers you know i I, I was I was thinking the other day you know this group often things often look easy in hindsight this group is really hard. When this draw was made, I don't know about you guys, I was pretty despondent about this group mm-hmm. because I thought we had put in so much effort and we've done so well to win our Nations League group that got us seeded second, knowing that finishing second in this group would get us automatic qualification, which is what we aim for. And then to pull Norway out of pot three with the greatest striker in world football right now, that felt really demoralizing. And I feel like looking at the group that we have, almost any other Scotland team in our lifetimes, you know, you could easily imagine us beating Cyprus, probably, yes. Then uh, putting up a decent fight, but losing to Spain. Then going to Norway and probably losing in Norway. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, shit, we've got three points after three games. We've now got to effectively run the board against Georgia, which will be tough because you've got to go to Tbilisi again. Mm -hmm. Got to get six points against Cyprus. And then it'll probably come down to a win or bust game in the last game against Norway at home. So... That's what this group normally would have looked like under any other campaign in any other era of the national team this century. So to be sitting here right now, four wins out of four, and not just having won the games, but having deserved to win the games, having won them in different ways, different styles, scoring goals, only conceding one goal in four from a penalty. I mean, this is genuinely... You know, you know me that I always like to look on the bright side and I always like to sort of go out my way to try and sort of bring people along to my way of thinking. I feel like I'm almost redundant now because yeah. it's pretty bloody obvious that we're a pretty good side right now, you know?
1: And yeah, it, it's just incredible to see. You, you make a, a point that's worth going over again, Gordon, because I'm the same as you. When, when, the, when this draw was made, I thought that's absolutely typical. How have we... As, as you say, been working so hard to get ourselves into pot two and end up with a group that, on the face of it, is harder than what Northern Ireland and pot five have got. That is the way that I saw it. I'll come to you on this, Alan, just to, to reiterate that point, because if you look at the pots for Euro twenty twenty four qualifying, Spain ranked third. Well, the Nations League pot is intertwined with pot one. They're ranked third in that. Of 11. In pot three, Norway ranked third. Pot four, Georgia ranked first. Pot five, Cyprus ranked third. And in pot two, we were the team that everyone else was probably delighted to get in the group because they could have had France from pot two, they could have had England, they could have maybe had Serbia, who would be seen as a tougher draw than us, Czech Republic as well, I would imagine. But we have yeah. just completely torn up expectation here Yeah and I think it's it's
2: worth, it's worth talking about because when we came into this uh, of course every single group you can create and contextualize and turn it into whatever you want it but I mean you talk about a group and you talk about everyone said about what everyone said about the Scotland squad is, is lacked a superstar for example we know we've got superstars but for every other nation we lack a superstar but we've come into this group where at least to, you include everybody that plays for Spain, um, these teams have superstars. Varyscalia playing for Georgia, right. Alland and Odegaard uh, and Co playing for Norway. Um, all, like And obviously Spain, despite changing manager, they've just won the Nations League. So uh, in Cyprus, sort of typically always a, a, tough, a tough challenge for us. So no team in this group was easy. Each team is on their own arc. Um, Georgia, is, as you guys spoke about in the last episode, Georgia, are obviously, they've moved up to, to League B. They're in a really good run of form. Um, there's no two ways about it. Looking at Georgia, I was slight, slightly concerned. I know our home form, but friends were asking me, what's a good result here? And I said, well, if we go away with a draw, a- apart from morale, that's fine. Ten points in the opening four games is fine. Um, obviously, hope we win. Um but yeah, like to to come away. Uh, I think yeah, three three home games. You want to win your home games, um. But to go to Oslo on top of all that and to beat the top seeds, it's incredible. And um, we're on some magical journey at this moment. And like you guys say, you want to depinch like, you
1: yourself. You, I'm just trying to enjoy it. Um... Before before we move on to the game in isolation and discuss everything that happened because it was an event an eventful evening. We'll go through. Um, some of the permutations and the lay of the land to satisfy everybody's craving because we are now really looking at next summer It's that uh, I can empathize and understand why we're looking that far ahead. Now I was nervous to do so after Norway, but after last night, yep, it's, it's definitely, I've got my periscope. I'll up. give you Andy. Can I, can I, can I just give you the
0: dream scenario? Yes. For how this plays out because genuinely this, this, is, this is what I woke up working out this morning and this does not feel unrealistic to me. So in the next camp in september obviously we play uh we play Cyprus away and on the same night spain play georgia so let's let's imagine for a second that obviously we 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 hope that we will we will make it five wins from 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 five we will will we will we'll win that game and let's say that spain will beat georgia and i think spain coming off nations league success i don't think that's an unreasonable thing to to expect and that's that's on the same night in september that's on the same night that's Friday 8th, yeah. 8th okay. September. Friday 8th September, that's March day five. So Norway don't play that night. The following Tuesday, um, Spain plays Cyprus. Put that to one side. Norway hosts Georgia. And at the same time, we play England in our heritage match, friendly, celebrating 150 years since the first ever international football game. Now, assuming, obviously, like I said, that Spain have beaten Georgia the previous Friday, if Norway and Georgia draw that game, we've qualified automatically guaranteed that night I'm imagine england we imagine we
1: beat england on the
0: same night well do you know what honestly like imagine any result against england but imagine the fact you know i was i was thinking this this morning you know qualifying for things and winning things when your team isn't on the pitch and your team isn't there is Uns- there, there's a, there, it's unsatisfying, you know. You remember, yeah. you remember all the Leicester City players at Jamie Vardy's house watching Spurs draw with Chelsea, and then they won the league. And like, sure, yeah. lovely for the players, but for the fans, for the community, it's not what you want. So the fact that we could genuinely be in a situation where we are all at Hamden, at a sold-out Hamden for a friendly game against England, checking our phones—if word comes through that night, the Norway and Georgia have drawn. We then get to celebrate qualifying automatically for Euro twenty twenty-four with three games to spare. That is the dream scenario, but that doesn't feel like it's out with the realms of possibility.
1: No, not at all. The, the the Twitter account We Global Football is quite a good one. They are already looking ahead to the pot projections for next summer. They, they have us at something like a ninety-four percent chance of automatic qualification. Something ninety nine. Take take the take the playoffs out of the equation which we which we have which are now almost immaterial forget about them We ha- so Gordon you're saying that we global football have got us at 99% chance of finishing in the top two of this group, they've they've looked even further ahead and i have got pot projections here uh, from after last night's games and they have us at the moment a 43% chance of being in pot two for the Euros next summer uh, pot one is a uh, chance pot 3 is 18% chance and pot 4 is a 1% chance so it seems that provided we make it we will be improving on our position in the Euros last time we were there we would be in as it stands projections in in the pot with Croatia, Serbia, Denmark, Czech Republic and Spain pot 3 looks nasty it would just be typical for us to get Italy from pot 3 for example or Netherlands pot 4 looks like a Finland, uh, Slovakia, Romania, I think that is Romania there. And one is full of the, the best teams in, on the continent. So, yeah, it's looking good for us in the immediacy, Alan, but if we do look allow ourselves to look ahead to next year, the work that's being done now looks set to set us in an incredible stead for the tournament when it eventually comes around, provided we don't go and lose four games in the bounce
2: here. Yep. Um, and I think that's where we've seen the importance of we've got three big friendlies coming in in the sort of September October. Um, and I think what a lot of us are hoping is well, I mean if you're a Scotland fan, you want to see New Jerseys, you're, you're you're thinking changes, but I think what Clark's proven in the past is that he he doesn't he needs to use these games to continue momentum. and that's uh, if we if we win. Cyprus and then we can go and get positive results because of course we're going to be in League A in the Nations League we're going to be facing these big nations on a regular basis so we're going to have to get used to sort of the demands of uh, intense on the back foot potentially um, definitely against stronger opposition games so that's a really good test for us And they, uh, against France and then against Spain again with the added bonus that a result against Spain obviously solidifies or at least massively enhances our chance of being in pot too um, because I guess um, you guys will be able to confirm, but you, there's, even even though the Nations League exists, you still gain points for friendlies. So good results in friendlies. Um, I'm not sure if that qualifies for groups, Gordon. Uh, maybe you're more aware.
0: Uh, not really, no, because um, generally now uh, seedings are done through
2: through Nations League rankings. Yeah. Right, so that's that'll be quite in the definitive. So yeah, I think it's, it's important for momentum. Um, we've got a massive chance to keep that going. And I think it's also work on the system that we worked on against Spain and against Norway, um, which is going to be really interesting because, yeah, of course, we've beaten Norway. We've had a really good result against Georgia and, and Cyprus. um, But at the Euros, like you say, if you draw in Italy, you want to have the confidence going into a tournament you can deal with these teams or at least you have the skills and the tools to do a job against them.
1: Yeah, just before we, we touch on the game here are a bunch of bullet points uh, bbc put a few up pretty much detailing just how how good it has been over the last couple of years if we take the ukraine game last summer out of the equation which was tough for everybody but generally we've been on it for almost 2 years straight so since the euros clark has now managed 21 matches post euro 2021 or 2020 We've lost four of them, Denmark, Ukraine, Republic of Ireland and the Turkey friendly. We've drawn three uh Ukraine and the Nations League away from home and the friendlies against Austria and Poland last spring where we should we should have won both of them and let it slip on both occasions. and we've won 14. So of the 21 games, we have won 14 of them and have won 10 consecutive group qualifiers. Now, the last time we were beaten in a qualifying group game was Denmark away. We've kicked eight own, sheets during that run. And that's, that's not, that's not, count, that, that's that's not counting the Nations League, sorry. That's just yeah. block qualifying games for a World Cup or for Euros. Um, we have scored at least twice in these four consecutive matches. Uh, Scotland have scored at least twice in four consecutive matches for the first time since 1983. We've won six consecutive home matches with Clark at the helm now for the first time, which is the best run at home in almost 30 years. And we have Scott McTominay's goal record, which is just sensational now. Um, He scored one goal in his first 19 home games for Scotland, and he scored five in his last three at Hampden. The first player that's to score in three consecutive games at Hampden for Scotland since Chris Boyd in 2007. There's a lot to digest there. Gordon, do your best. Yeah, I mean, yeah,
0: I, I, I too sort of posted something quite similar on 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 the tartan scarf where I I did a graphic back in March and I updated it uh, last night to sort of show the competitive record in matches pre Euro twenty twenty and post Euro twenty twenty. And you know, we said we said at the time, and I I remember posting this. You know, when when we got beaten by Croatia, that I said I said that you know that wasn't the beginning of the end. It was the end of the beginning under Steve Clark, and that this team had so much more to do and so much more to achieve. And we knew that spending a month together at the Euros could be the springboard to create that team spirit and identity that would springboard them into the future. And that was our hope at the time. And we have been completely, that has been completely borne out in the in the reality because as, as you said there, you know, he's now played almost the exact same number of competitive games pre and post Euros he went from eight wins in 19 before the Euros to 14 wins in 18 games post Euros. The most impressive aspect of that is to go from five clean sheets before to 11 clean sheets after a win percentage of 42% to a win percentage of 77%. I mean, it's, it's not nice. just, it's stunning. It is absolutely stunning. And it just seems, again, that whenever this team faces a setback, they somehow managed to bounce back even stronger. You know, that two years ago, it was the Euros, which didn't go as well as we hoped. And then it was, then we went straight into Denmark, where we were pretty threadbare, but we were comfortably beaten. We spring that into six wins in a row to finish the World Cup qualifiers. Last year, it was the World Cup playoff, where we were desperately disappointing against Ukraine and then got absolutely hammered in Dublin. We springboard that into winning our Nations League group and then into, into this. And yeah, it, it just shows you that, that you know, the time, the consistency, the time with the, the, the team, it, it all comes together. And the fact that now you have this atmosphere in the, in, the, in the camp where you've got players who are desperate to give up a week of their holiday to come to Spain and have a training camp just so they can get away with the Scotland team. is, It's just incredible to see the, 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 the desire among this group of players to be part of something because they feel they're part of something really special.
1: Let's get started on last night. 2 0 victory, a comfortable and very professional performance, I thought. Don't think Georgia really threatened that much at all until the final, maybe five to 10 minutes, they had a little flurry. Easy to forget, uh, given everything else that happened around last night's game with the weather and stuff, that Georgia came into that unbeaten in 11 competitive games, I have it as. And they'd never won in Scotland before, though. But they had recently taken points off or beaten Kosovo, Sweden. Norway, Macedonia—you know these teams that are are awkward, tricky matches, especially for teams on our level. And we and we dealt with them really kept them at arm's length for the entirety of the game. I thought that we created much more. Allen, uh, Georgia had one gilt-edged opportunity before the penalty that they wasted at the back post, but we were the ones heading forward in control of the game and the tempo of it. And to be honest, I'll come to this uh, in a bit more detail, but McGregor in the sixth minute in McTominay at the start of the second half, I felt that we should have added a second and subsequent third goals earlier than than we than we did the second. Yeah. Um you, you pretty much summed it up there. I think it was uh despite the
2: chaos um with the waterlogged park and the, the delays, we started restarted the game completely focused. The before <laughs> that first six minutes was honestly it was, it was probably the most incredible game. The fact, the fact that we scored in it as well. Uh, it was just so <laughs> enjoyable. And, and also, it's just strange to watch because you knew it couldn't continue, but it just kept on going on. And then when the goal got var you just thought, what is this getting disallowed for? And, and I think there was a section that's really its not been spoken about. On the TV, they mentioned that VAR was broken. when um, the goal review. Now, I don't know what they were, What they mentioned inside the stadium. Um but I, that just added to it as well so you were like what the hell is going on here and then they gave the goal and then obviously Scotland a national team uh twitter announced that there was a suspension but then in their score uh, of the suspension they put it at 0-0 so watching it on TV <laughs> you were like okay so we're drawing the game 1-0 up but the score's going back to, the score's going back to 0-0 what like what's going on so it was um but the thing is we we're confused you guys in the stadium must have been confused and the team like they, when they came back out, they did not show that one single bit. And I think looking at the stats of the game, like you said, there was at least four other chances where like Dykes or McGinn or McTominay or that one McGregor looked over the bar. On another day, any of these could have gone in and it would have been even more comfortable. Um, but our guys were all on it. I think you've got five or six players above 80% pass completion. Um, obviously, with the McGregors, um, uh, Gilmores and uh, Porteous at the top end of that. Everyone was passing the ball absolutely fine on the surface, uh, and obviously um, Robertson on the, another another good game. Uh, I would have said um, he, he's managed to create chances and um, that little combination of play that he'd had with mm-hmm. Gilmore with um, McGregor
1: and Tierney. Uh, it was beautiful. It was so uh, calm. You weren't worried. You were just sort of enjoying it. but well, Alan, you're working in Sky at the moment. I don't know what how how easy it was to see on TV. I would assume quite clear, but Gordon, at the game, it was but you could see it bouncing off the tarmac relentlessly behind the goals. And it you knew that the, the pitch was taking an absolute battering. The the chance that the, the moment that I thought, okay, we're in trouble here was at the start of the game, or maybe a couple of minutes in, Georgia had a shot across goal and it was going wide, or it was easily wide, and then suddenly it, it stopped and almost spun into Angus's Angus Gunn's bottom corner and the whole stadium gasped at, at that and that's when I thought mm, okay maybe something needs to be done about this we scored two minutes later and then uh, the game was uh, postponed for for an hour and a half eventually do you th- do you think that we can we can look back at it here you know and um, impartially and pragmatically do you, do you think in hindsight it maybe was a wee bit the, the Georgians are, are right to feel that that might have been a wee bit Unfair with the way it transpired the first six seven minutes before it was cancelled or postponed. Oh God, Ab- absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, look, obviously
0: it was it was fairly farcical. Uh, those for those those first few minutes, you could you could see the way that the players were running; they were moving so gingerly, uh, just throwing up huge waves of water every time they every time they planted their feet the ball wasn't running properly, it wasn't bouncing properly. There was that moment when sort of Aaron Hickey sort of really brilliantly sort of turned inside his man and was sort of charging into open space, you know, and was about to create a chance and then effectively got dispossessed by a puddle because the ball just stopped <laughs> and, and he just ran past it. And you're right, the, Georgia had that that shot there that, again, looked like it was going handily wide and Angus Gunn was comfortably leaving it. And then, again, it almost stops dead on a puddle. And if that hadn't rolled out of play, then, then um, the Georgian striker could have potentially run in and got a tap in. So, yeah, it, I, I can... I can completely understand how hard done by they felt by conceding that goal. I mean, in fairness, I don't think I don't think the water played a huge role in the goal being scored. Um, you know, it was a fairly standard corner that was header down that McGregor reacted quickest to it's not it's well, not the it's not the water's fault that Georgian marker was sleeping. No, exactly precisely, precisely. Um and obviously the pitch was equally farcical for both teams. So it's not like it was really wet down one end and not wet down the other. So it was, it was a leveler. It was the, it was the, it, were, it was the conditions that both teams had to cope with. And yeah, they probably shouldn't have. But then again, I've also got sympathy for the officials because generally, you know, you do, they do, a, the rest will do a pitch inspection about an hour before kickoff. And how were they to know that we were going to get about a month's worth of rain inside an hour? Um but yeah completely the 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 right decision the right decision to uh to 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 suspend the game and obviously just a heroic effort by scottish fa staff by groundsmen by ball boys with their squeegees and their mops and their brooms and a bloody leaf blower to get that pitch playable. It was absolutely incredible because, you know, I, I had people tweeting me saying, oh, this is ridiculous, a shambles, you know, people have got to travel home and we should be calling off the game. And yeah, I I, I, I know that a lot of people had to leave early because, you know, they had young kids and they had to get away. And that is a great shame. But on the flip side, you know, we were hearing inside the stadium that had the game been postponed, it would have come back today, supposedly at St. Mirren Park. For reasons I'm not entirely sure of, that, which that presumably was... would have been behind closed doors. So, if it had, had to come back, it wouldn't have pleased anybody because there would be no game for anyone. So
1: it, it was. Get the it, was to a it was going to be a hand in Gordon, was it not? Was was St. Mirren not a, a backup in case the hand in, pitch in case the pitch wasn't be usable? Right, because okay. you know, you know, it didn't. It, it apparently well, it didn't rain in in Paisley. It's, my, my, I've got a pal that lives over near Silverburn, and it it didn't rain at his but wasn't mental, <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it was specifically over over Hamden, and this uh, is it. I think I think this I think the St Mirren thing came to be as a backup a, if the Hamden pitch like if, Hamden, if Hamden if can't be recovered in time or improved to right, okay. match playing condition then we'll have to go and play it at St Mirren Park. I don't it's, think it was right. Okay, fuck it, we'll play at St Mirren tomorrow <laughs> instead. I think it was a contingency plan because yeah. it, ap- apparently there was people at St Mirren uh, who are a bit confused by this rumour that suddenly started spreading that the Scotland game is going to be at their stadium tomorrow (laughs) and they weren't aware of such a thing happening. But it was an hour hour and 40 minutes so I I tried to go back and work it out. So the players went off after nine minutes I think it was a 20 minute break and then we were told right, 15 minutes till kick-off and it was supposed to be at 8.35 then a 10 minute warm-up for the players for 8.45 then it was moved to 9 then Scotland came back out at 9.15 and we were told right, okay, half nine. And there was no sign of the Georgians at that point. And they were thinking, right, well, surely if they are refusing to come back out here, then they just forego the game. I don't know, maybe if we would have had a an Estonia situation where it would have had to be replayed at all, because there's a difference between the ref abandoning the match because he thinks the conditions are dangerous and a team refusing to come out and play because they don't want to. That that, yeah, that can't carry the same ramifications, no, 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 certainly
0: not. I, and and yeah, we, we it, was, it was it was getting to the stage last night where people were were sending IFAB regulations around in chats, <laughs> and yeah, I I I I, I am. I'm fairly sure it, it, was, it, it, it was at the stage Georgian you know, football
2: if, fans on Twitter were sharing IFAB rules <laughs> yes, exactly
0: been, so the think, so the, 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 the official regula- regulation said that if an association refuses to play or is responsible for a match not taking place or not being played in full the UEFA control ethics and disciplinary body de- declares the match forfeited by the association concerned so yes when it got to the stage that the referee was comfortable that the pitch was playable Scotland were out on the pitch had Georgia stayed in the dressing room as they were threatening to do then a forfeit was going to be the only thing and and
1: that's eventually what brought them brought them back out on the pitch Yeah, I'm not sure how many of them will be podcast listeners but if anyone out there who was part of the crew that helped clear the pitch of all the water any ball boys or any stewards or any SFA staff fantastic because at one point it did look irretrievable really The, the way that the ball was refusing to bounce especially in the goal mouths it was so so swampy but great job. And also, uh, Graham Easton did a good job of keeping everybody informed. Not sure. Is he responsible for the music? Because there were some apt tunes being played last night. You know, Travis, uh, let's get it started by black eyed peas. I think is that, is that his gig or is he just an announcer?
0: So the, ham- so the, ha- the Hamden DJ is, uh, is Keith Easton to give him his, uh, to give oh, him his his shout brother. out. His brother.
1: And I believe, yeah. So
0: they, they, they are from, from, from the same, same, cool.
1: same company. Well, yeah. Um, a thumbs up for the two of them. Then, oh, oh, maybe a bit of a lesson learned here. Just in case we do get hit by such weather conditions again, I think there were only about six, seven, or eight water rollers available. Like people were using actual brushes <laughs> at one point. Like <laughs> maybe, maybe the SFA should be investing in another dozen water rollers or so, and that might have been done a lot quicker uh, with the manpower that was available to them. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, okay, but the game went ahead uh, finally. Can you imagine that was in a cold November evening or something instead of a a warm June, still daylight evening? That would have been an absolute nightmare. But the boys uh, came back out. They looked focused and they picked up from where they left off. Georgia had a shot uh, just as the game restarted. But apart from that, they didn't really lay a glove on us in the first half. Uh, Did anyone, is anyone tactically eagle-eyed to notice or decipher exactly how we lined up in midfield. I was trying to figure it out so it looked like McTominay had been put a bit further forward and it was the 3-4-2-1 with McTominay and McGinn behind Dykes and Gilmore and McGregor across the midfield and the, the four with the wing-backs. Is that right Alan? Did you, w- would you agree? Yeah. So Actually, when, I, when and during the early stages um, I think
2: it was when the game restarted uh, Dykes was parallel uh, with McGinn stages when we had the ball and were progressing it now i'm not sure if that was when it looked like it was very clearly going to get, end up at the top end of the park and then you would later find mcginn um, dropping quite deep to collect it bursting forward
1: through the center and then obviously getting on the end of a cross when it went wide um and, and then then maybe it, more it, of a maybe more of a 3-5-1-1 then with mcginn in a, a bit of a zero yeah. yeah
2: yeah and tierney was it i don't know if any noticed that tierney was it right back at one point um he came across him <laughs> um, for a i don't know a, a period of play that i missed and probably got in the bar and uh, I looked up and he was a right back I thought well, what's going on here um, so yeah no but it was yeah the system it, it worked really well because you had both obviously Dykes was brilliant in there as always I mean he got his assist again like two assists in two games two crucial goals he's helped um, create um, and he was winning, as you said he should have had a goal and he was one in everything that came in there but also you've got McGinn who's quite good in there and he won quite a few headers as well throughout the night um, so two very capable forward players um, alongside each other which is good um, and good to see Nesbit get on
1: later as well. Yeah, we have a few questions from listeners. Michael Grantham, um, one of them, Daniel Matheson, as well, asking: Is that our best midfield four now? So, Gordon, if that is counting McGinn as a midfielder rather than a supporting striker in a three-five-one-one, one, or if it does rotate into the more fluid box midfield, Gilmore, who is excellent, and I'm sure we'll touch on it, alongside McGregor, McTominay. And McGinn, does that leave anything to be desired, or do Michael and Daniel make fair points?
0: No, I mean, I think, I think when you when you see the performance that was required last night, um, it was the 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 team chosen and the midfield chosen absolutely delivered it to perfection. But I think what what really really impresses me about the Scotland team now is that you know even though the system might seem quite similar match to match. The The tactics and the system we played were actually quite drastically different. The way Steve Clark deployed his midfield on Saturday in Oslo versus last night were very different depending on the needs of the game. So I think there will always be the space for for tweaks and for specific players to, to counter specific threats. But I mean, I, I think those, those, those four that played last night have would make it very difficult to drop them for the next game. I mean, obviously McTominay, McGregor and uh, and McGinn are sort of real mainstays in the team, but it was just absolutely wonderful to see Billy Gilmore back. You know, I mean, to have him always able to pick up the ball on the half turn and get us moving. I mean, just the 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 movement in our midfield, the fluidity. I mean, we genuinely made it look quite easy at times. You know, the way that when, when Georgia, especially in the second half, were trying to press us and trying to contain us and trying to force turnovers, we just played around them. And it, it was yeah. always because those midfielders were available for passes and not just to take in an easy pass, but to take it on the half turn and to turn upfield and to get it to begin and to get it wide. It, yeah, just phenomenally impressive from that midfield unit.
1: Yeah, th- there is a new normal now, Alan, with the way that we like to operate from defence into midfield and through the, the pressing lines for, for so long. And this is just the intrinsic dread and cynicism of being a Scotland fan I would hate to watch it. It would just make me too nervous. If the defence had the ball, I'd want them to get it away from our final third of the park. Whereas now, Hendry, Porteous and Tierney as it is at the moment, or you can introduce Cooper, Suter, Hanley, whoever. Let them have it for three or four minutes. My heart rate doesn't, you know, quicken into dangerous territory anymore. I'm, I'm comfortable with the boys in the midfield that we've got showing popping the ball off to one of each other, out to the left of Robertson, no way forward. Okay, recycle out to the right for Hickey or Patterson. Infield, suddenly McGinn's on the spin and we're forward. We're patient and we're picking the right times to do it. And Gilmore, Gordon makes a good point, is such a vital part of that. I think the guy has got one of the the coolest heads on in a Scotland jersey that I've, I've ever seen. He just never looks threatened under pressure, whether he's got one or two men uh, up his backside, or whether he's facing his own goal, or whether he's tasked with actually coming forward with himself and taking responsibility, he seems to thrive on all those fronts. He, he does, and it's it's it's
2: brilliant. I mean, I remember going back to maybe one of his first Chelsea games. It was against Liverpool, and you see him receive the ball under pressure from um, three players, and he turn he turns them all and makes them step forward. and end up uh, creating an opportunity, it's just it's that resistance to press. I mean, you've got Gilmore and Cal Mack, who can both do that, I would actually argue that Gilmore's better at receiving the ball. You, you feel that he... You feel that like Gilmore will never lose you the ball. If it goes to Gilmore, the very worst case is going back. Um, he'll always find a man, and he always shows himself. And I think having those two guys and McTominay on the park, we've seen him being able... That's, that allows him to get further and further forward. And then you see the reward with the number of goals he's getting. He can time his runs into the box, because he doesn't have to sit back. I mean, I think what we saw in the first... Especially the first half, um, was... McTominay was actually supporting Hickey quite a bit in dealing with Fariskelia. Um, he would sort of just come, come in a bit closer, just giving you that option for the second man. But to be ref- to be fair, Hickey done quite a good job on him anyway. Um, and obviously later on, it could free him. But I think you're, you're right, having having such good passers in team, we don't have to have that fear. And then good passers at the back. I mean, for the first six minutes of the game from the start, I've probably never wanted, for a long time I've not sc- wanted Scotland to play long ball football, but you thought it was the only option in that rain because nothing was sliding. Um, even then, they it showed, it showed Hickey trying to take the ball and run past players. Players trying to play the,
1: the style of football that's the only way we can play now. A couple of questions about Hickey and the mentions. We'll we'll come to him later on. We have Scott Johnston. First of all, we have Lee McLaughlin just saying after the performance last night, Gilmore, is Gilmore one of the first names. On the team sheet, I suppose we'll find out. Maybe it's a game-dependent thing. Would Christian Armstrong be better? Does McTominay, uh, and then McTominay moving back, or is McTominay's exploits last night really pushing him towards an, an a more advanced role, uh, which is mentioned by uh, Scott Johnson, which I was just about to come to, saying he loved the constant running from McTominay in uh, the advanced role and supporting supporting the attack. This is a a boy who has gone from. A, a decent level for Scotland. Gordon, I think McTominay was always like decent for us to an outstanding one.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I think McTominay's been one of those players that I've always, I've always admired all the attributes he brings. You can tell he's such a technically good player. He's physically strong. He's quick. He had all the attributes in his locker, but I I always struggled to think that how he could pull, bring them together into into performances for Scotland, into a role and a position in a system that would make him play to his best. And I I just always struggled to know how, how we were going to get the best out of him. And, you know, there was that period where he would play at right center back and he would bring a lot with his, with his passing and his distribution. And that worked quite well. But I think we finally found it. We finally found in this more advanced marauding role, the one that clicks for him. And the fact that he's got, you know, five goals in four games in qualifying is Utterly incredible! I thought his goal last night was was wonderful. It was almost reminiscent of the goal he scored against Spain, just in the way that he sort of arrived at the box quite late, and the finish of just sort of opening his body and just side footing it into the into into the part of the goal where the, where the keeper just could never get to. I mean, so composed, so calm, a really impressive wow. finish, and yeah, he's just he's absolutely flying. He's absolutely flying and it's, yeah, you love to see it. And I think when when it comes to to selection in in that midfield, it'll be interesting, especially to see what Gilmore and McTominay do this summer in the transfer window. Uh, There's rumours around both of them, but let's hope both of them end up at a club, at clubs that uh, can make the best of their talents as well.
1: Yeah, we had chances throughout the first half to add to our 1-0 lead, which was given to us by McGregor, his third international goal. I do feel that this is the it doesn't really matter in the in the end because we scored at the start of the second half but throughout the the game there were points where I thought we should be just killing this now and we we don't need because if if they if they'd scored that penalty and it was 5 minutes earlier you know there's a few ifs, but, if spots f buts, and maybe's there but if that had happened then you know it all of a sudden becomes an early ending there was there was a takes back post header in the first half it was a difficult chance but then McGinn completely <laughs> took an air shot I think the I think the I think the there was a puddle that must have taken the pace out the ball by yeah. you know, a fraction, which meant his shot was mistimed in the end. The Georgian keeper made a great save from McTominay a couple of minutes before half time. Uh, McGlin uh, McGinn had a deflected shot over the crossbar just before half time. We, we had a good flurry of chances at, just before the the whistle went, and then McTominay his fifth goal of the campaign, forty six minutes, and from there, I think it was more of a case of. The final ball, the, the only clear-cut chance that I can remember is Porteous's header, which I'm sure crossed his mind as he was heading to sleep last night. McGregor has shot from the edge of the box, which just went a bit too high and wide. But it was more final ball. I feel like we just needed to have a bit more of a killer instinct. There was one where McGinn had an opportunity to slide in McTominay and didn't put enough on it. There was one where McGregor tried to slide in McTominay and just didn't angle his Pass correctly, there was one McTominay tried to play a through ball for Dykes and it didn't have enough on it. Against better teams, you need to take advantage of the opportunity to put yourself in a presentable opportunity to score, Alan. Almost like the chance before the chance. I'm not really too sure how exactly to to phrase it, but do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. no, you're right. Um, But I think what we have now is we have an
2: answer to that problem, uh, Andy. And that answer's name is Kenny McLean. (laughs) <laughs> because when you've got a game that's tight and you just want to shut it up and end it and win the game, you bring on Kenny McLean. Uh, since that 2-0 win against Denmark that you mentioned earlier, Kenny McLean has played nine games for Scotland, with, uh, with eight, nine caps for Scotland. We have won eight and drawn one. The one we drew was a 0-0 against Ukraine that he'd started. Um, so that doesn't count. The games he's came on as a sub, usually for the last 20 minutes or so, we've won every single one of them. And we haven't considered a single goal. So, that if you have a tight game like you're talking about, you just bring on Kenny McLean. Um, and obviously, we've seen in Norway where he, he comes on and he scores. So, he doesn't just shut, shut up. If you need to get a winner, he'll score the winner as well.
1: Um, well so. we, 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 do have, we do have players in an attacking sense that should be able to unpick locks. Yeah. We, um, let's say Armstrong more than capable yeah. Christy Shankland is a goal scorer but has also played a bit deeper in the attacking position for Hearts uh, this season Nisbet's a decent finisher as well if if he gets the ball in the final third but it's getting it into the goal scoring positions in games where we might not have as many opportunities to do so yeah that I feel I is, is something important to to develop over the next wee while to to get those intricacies bang on I mean more more than happy with how the game transpired last night, and please don't take this as a complaint at all from me. But the the, we, the first goal was from a corner, and the second one McTominay picked up from a fluffed Georgian clearance. So none of our goals came from us breaking the lines like we like one of the goals in uh, in Norway came from. So I know that we are capable of it, and I'm not saying oh last night doesn't matter because you know we were presented a couple of goals, not nothing like that. But what I mean is that. When we do get into positions to hurt the opposition, I think we need to be doing it more often to take sting out of games that we're in control of. Yeah,
0: I think. Look, I I think. I think you're you're you are you are absolutely right, Andy. And and I think I think it's 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 nice to hear us be able to be constructively critical. Of a team that is playing so well because you know we're, we as, as as exactly Steve that's exactly Steve Clark's attitude as well because you know, he said that look it's great it's lovely four wins is nice but four wins doesn't qualify you and there's still more in this team there's still more to come it was the same as you know I was so impressed after the Cypress game that McGinn said post match that you know what I thought we were pretty poor and we we, we need to be a lot better after a three nil win Um I, I think you know I, I I'm reluctant to nitpick too much with the game last night simply because. Of just the sheer external circumstances around it, the fact that you know for that full second half we were two 0 up and very very comfortable, and the fact that by that point it was about two and a half hours after the game had kicked off, so you can you can forgive a slight lack of precision and sharpness. I think I, to your point though, I, I would I would agree that. The one player that I felt was whose radar was maybe off a little bit was Aaron Hickey. I thought quite a few times, especially first half, there was times that he would measure passes through and over and not quite connect. Again, the pitch wasn't great. So, you know, but you're right. There's there's, 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 certain, there's always, always things to improve on and we will have to be sharper uh, when it comes to bigger games. But I just think just how mad last night was and the fact that we were 1-0 up from very early and then 2-0 up from the start of the second half we managed that game very comfortably and the fact that as you said at the top that this is a Georgian team that had what one defeat in the last 16 games they were unbeaten in 10 or 11 competitive games they didn't have a shot on target last night so you know I, I I don't know how much
1: better we could have managed that game to be honest There there is a message here let me just find it which puts to that point I can't see it in the mentions straight off the bat, but it was basically someone saying oh, here we go uh, Lee McLaughlin, a uh, boy that I mentioned earlier When was the last time this defence looked so solid I always thought there was a mistake in us um, but now they are comfortable with or without the ball Alan, and it goes for whoever's really playing in defence for us at the moment you could put on, t- take out Tierney, Porteous and Henry last night and bring in Cooper, Hanley and Suter yeah, we, Tierney would be a big loss in, in his own unique sense but generally I don't think too many panic buttons would be getting pressed at, at that prospect yeah, um, I think what you've got now is a system where you, you mentioned it before that we
2: can make changes and you can you can change swap your Christies and your Gilmore's and um, bring in other players. Uh, I think the way the system he's got with the five at the back, you've got enough bodies in there that when when someone's having a slight off day, you you or even if someone's maybe perhaps perceived a lesser ability, you've got enough cover there to still be compact and defend, force teams wide, defend the crosses. Because the bread and butter of all our defence is defending crosses. We showed it against Spain, showed it against Norway, um, and that's why we're restricting chances, because we're so compact in the centre. Um, we we just, we, we limit them. Um, I think when you've got guys, and I obviously, as we've seen, you've got guys like Henry, obviously, he's having difficult times. These guys are all at big clubs at high levels. Porteous is playing really well for Watford, scoring goals, um, Cooper, uh, I think he's still a club captain at Leeds. So as much as you lose your your starters, you've got players who're coming in who are sufficient standard. Clark's drilled the system into them. They come to camps, uh, month in, month out, with international squad. It's so seamless for them to step in, um, and that's obviously now you've had Hayam come on, uh, have his debut, be in a couple of camps now. So he's another guy who's he's going to know when he gets called on to start a game. Um, he's going to know exactly what his his job is. And I think that's the benefit of this club mentality and this fairly common defensive system that that, um,
1: Clark's managed to master with this side. Let's go back to Hickey for a moment because I, I do agree with you, Gordon. I don't think he was a particularly weak area last night. He... I mean, he has one of the world's, or Europe's, certainly best wingers on his side. And Farrat if I'm honest, looked a tad disinterested. I don't think he fancied it at all. He had one moment where he ruined Porches with a drag back, but it came to nothing when he broke into the box and then he missed his penalty at the end. So not a good night for him. And Hickey did well against them. It's in the other half of the park, or specifically the opposite third of the park. But I, I feel that Patterson is... Is just just more of a of a threat and and better for this team. If you look at Robertson on the other side, granted, Robertson uh, has now been the captain for, of us for five years. Yeah, yeah, five years, just about, and is playing in one of Europe's best teams, and is in his late twenties. I think Robertson's twenty eight now. Hickey's only just turned twenty one this month. Just finished his first season in the Premier League. A great career ahead of him. Patterson, in my mind, is just a bit bolder an attack and in the final third he's not afraid to take his man on and create something whereas Hickey I, I felt like there was a bit of an invisible wall up against him uh, in, in Georgia's left back area at times last night if Hickey had the chance to maybe take his man on down the side and cut the ball back or or make his way into the uh, towards the byline
0: yeah, I, th- I think I think, and again, you know, you you don't want to you don't don't necessarily want to pick favorites because obviously we went through this whole process with uh, the Tyranny and Robertson debate. I think I think it's wonderful to have Hickey and Patterson fit and available and playing because I think they can they can provide different solutions to different problems that we're gonna face in different matches. I mean Patterson is obviously more naturally right sided, more naturally inclined to stay wide, to touch, to hug the touchline, to go to the byline and to whip crosses in, whereas Hecke tends to like to cut inside and, and 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 drift into the middle, which you know can provide different different things at different times. Um, I actually, I watched a really, there was a brilliant video that, um, that 442 actually put out on their YouTube channel that I've just tweeted. So uh, check the Tartan Scarf for that. Basically just sort of doing a bit of a tactical masterclass in why Scotland are so good right now. And a big part of it is the way that the defense operates with the five at the back. And the way that he sort of explained it is it's something of a kind of, if you imagine like a, like the pendulum swing of a grandfather clock where when we attack down one side, the defense sort of shuffles back across to effectively create a back four. So whoever goes high up and pushes, we've got acres of cover at the back. So we can so we can be attacking from defense while not over committing and not leaving ourselves exposed at the back. And just the way that that defense can, as the ball plays from one side to the other, can just shuffle and move around as one is just phenomenally impressive. And as Alan mentioned earlier, the fact that we've been running this system for so long now and we've had so many players in squads and in around the group that it doesn't matter whether it's Tierney, Hendry, Porches, uh, Hanley, McKenna, uh, Suter, Hayam, they'll all come in and they'll all know exactly what they're doing in that system because they've been drilling it so long. So so the, 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 the standard of performance just doesn't drop no matter who's in the team.
1: Well, speaking of standard of performance, it was certainly an international break for Andy Robertson. Alan absolutely fantastic against Norway at the weekend, and again from the first whistle and the subsequent second first whistle last night after the break, he was he was top class again, just full of inspiration, full of drive down the left hand side, but not only that, quality on top of it. I felt, yep, yep, he was absolutely phenomenal. Um, two captains performances,
2: not uh, in Norway. I think I've seen his heat map his heat map after it he was he was absolutely burning up and down that wing I'm surprised that the the grass didn't have marks in it um and you saw just how well he knows that side of the park as well I mean like I mentioned earlier how you've got that little triangle um and they just know each other inside out you've got two world class we know it, it's, it's just repeating the same thing but you've got two world class left backs who can both do a similar similar job and they're both so comfortable on the ball now that they can come aside and play these intricate passes that just completely take, tear defenders apart, especially defenders. Well, you'll argue Georgia have maybe lesser defenders than Spain, but a couple of the chances against Georgia, we replicated the exact same one for the for the first goal in Spain. So um, he's he's really.
1: Uh, oh, we've lost you, Alan. You've you're not on mute, but we can't hear you. Maybe your AirPods have died. Yeah, that's me. I, oh, I think there you so. Go. Yeah, that's you. You? Yeah, um, with, the, with the games
2: we've seen um, from Robertson, it's probably, you guys can correct me, but this is probably the best international football we've seen from him consistently. Um, game in, game out, his captain's performances. I mean, um, I saw Billy Gilmore got the man of the match last night. Um, you guys, I mean, he looked great, but I
1: mean, quite a lot of players in that part could have got it. Yeah, I would say so. Get, get, get the, there's certainly a, a trend of Gilmore getting man of the match when he plays for Scotland. I think that's because he does... 9 out of 10 things so well also he's a wee bit of a fan favourite you know he's just like an adorable wee boy and people just love to see him succeed and I think he's quite often uh, the perception of man of the match is maybe quite often misguided by that but last night I would yeah, say no fair there were a, a plethora of players who could have won it and Gilmore was one of them it was a bit of a tombola so now, no claims for me Robertson also one of them who, who could have easily picked up the award I thought he was excellent um, there was a A couple of players who didn't really see any game time over the international breaks. Guys, do you have an issue with any of them? It was pleasing to see Suter come on for a wee bit last night after suffering another bit of an injury at the end of the season. Nisbet uh, made his international comeback as well. Uh, Shankland didn't get any game time either way and neither did Lewis Ferguson. I think Lewis Ferguson is the one not to, I Gordon, as you said a minute ago, not to nitpick, but... Uh, Rory Loy said in the preview podcast that if he was Lewis Ferguson they'd be banging down Steve Clarke's door asking for more of an opportunity he's had a great season in, in Italy he, he's just unfortunately contending in a solid midfield that have won four out of four games at the moment but do you feel that last night there may have been an opportunity to allow him to prove what he's got in a match situation
0: Pro- probably, yeah, yeah, certainly. I, I mean, you're, you are right. I mean, Lewis Ferguson is a, is desperately unfortunate. I mean. You, you you take him in isolation. If, if, if we'd had Lewis Ferguson three or four years ago, you know, a very young player playing every week in one of the biggest leagues in Europe and not only playing but scoring regularly. I think, was it six goals he scored this season yeah, in Serie A? Yeah. Well, they, there you go. And scoring good goals as well, you know, goals that are getting nominated for goal of the month. I mean, and the fact that he can't get a sniff in our midfield, I mean, it just, it speaks to how strong our team is and how, 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 how just how good they are together. I mean, but again that 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 just puts the pressure on him as a player that he knows that if he if he does get that opportunity he has to grab it with both hands and you know i would like to think you know if we are again not to look too far ahead but if 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 we are able to Secure qualification for Euro twenty twenty four with 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 games to spare. We've got we've got the friendly against England in September. We've got a friendly against France in October, and then the re- remainder of our Euro twenty twenty four qualifiers can be an opportunity for for players like Lewis Ferguson and potential players from twenty ones to to come in and get involved. Because Clark is always looking to the future. You know he is always he's evolved his team over time. So yeah, ch- chances will come. Uh, he he has to be patient. He has to keep doing what he's doing. Um, and when he does get that chance, he has he has to take it.
1: Couple of messages about Lyndon Dykes. First one from SPFL football fan asking us to discuss the role that Big Lyndon has with the team. He's been superb and is probably ahead of Adams now as our number one striker. Brilliant at winning the ball, drawing fills and throw-ins. What a player for us! And also, Jonathan Savage poses the question: How different would these games have been for us with uh, Shea Adams up front? Uh, pose that one to you, Gordon, because you're a big fan of Mister Adams. Dykes has been excellent for us so far in these qualifiers, though, as well. He's only scored once, but he's got three assists now. He got an assist against Cyprus for McTominay. He laid off McLean's winner against Norway, and I'm not too sure how much he knew about it, but he got the assist um, for Paul McGregor's opener last night. I think the ball deflected off his chest or shoulder or such, so we'll give him it.
0: Yeah. I mean what, what 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 more can you say about about Big Linden? I mean an absolutely I have almost described him as sort of like a human fist because he just must be the worst to play against. He is an absolute nuisance. He for defenders he will fight you 90 minutes of the game and then some. His work rate is incredible. Is is it's it's unbelievable, you know, the fact that you know there was there were moments where we would uh, we lost the ball once or twice, and you saw Lyndon charging back and chasing the ball back into the channels inside our half to try and win the ball back. I mean, the guy just doesn't stop. He absolutely doesn't stop working. The fact that pre-March, you know, it was about six or seven weeks before the March games, he was in intensive care with pneumonia. Fights back from that, gets back in the squad. Look back to the the end of World Cup qualifying. There was the the away game in Moldova that he was desperate to travel with the team, even though he had no chance of being fit for. He was effectively lying to the staff to say he was definitely fit to play and he was nowhere near and he wanted to come fly five hours with the team just so he could watch the game. I mean, (laughs) he embodies everything you want to see out of a Scotland player. He absolutely loves it. He gives his all. And not only that, the moments he delivers his class are generally game changing moments. I mean, you know, we spoke at length about his goal on Saturday an absolute. Phenomenally deft touch, and then his deft touch again to set up McLean for the winner. I mean, he's wonderful. And look, like you said, yeah, I, I love Shea Adams as well. And you know, maybe maybe again, it's 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 that argument of sort of different tools for different jobs. Um, in the same way that the Hickey and Patterson debate goes, I'm just so delighted that we've got we've got all of them. That we've got these options, and, and Steve Clark can have his 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 uh, his menu of, of of options depending on what the what the situation uh, demands.
1: What do you reckon, Alan? Is there a pecking order of strikers here with Dykes maybe being on the top one? Or do you think that, as Gordon says, it's game dependent? I I would say it's completely
2: game dependent. I mean, we started, we had Christie, um the second most forward player in the, the game against Norway. Um, he probably would have started Adams there alongside him. Um but Clark has shown, I mean you look at the McTominay, there was always questions about him. He scored two goals, put him in the starting lineup again against Spain, you got another two. If you're if you're a player in form, like Dykes is again for Scotland, he likes to do it in big batches. Um you, you you don't take you can't take that off. So in terms of pecking order, I think it's we a striker is a position that you could say We've had, two, we've had a couple of players in Nisbet and Shanklin who've come off really good seasons. Shank, uh, Nisbet, especially since return from injury, um, has been phenomenal in the, the Scottish League. But these guys, they don't do what Lyndon does. Um, and they also don't do what Adams really does. So I think we've got Adams, we've got we've got Dykes. Um, when Adams is fit again, that'll be brilliant. And it's a great problem. Um
1: yeah, I think it is. you can't drop the Linden at the moment. Here's a couple of hypotheticals for you. The first one from Damon McLaughlin. Uh, Angus Gunn, four games, zero conceded from open play, and yet it feels like he still hasn't really been tested or stretched too much. He's he, He's been good with an impressive defence in front of him. If Craig Gordon is fit again in the autumn, what happens, Mr Sheikh?
0: I think, unfortunately, I th- I, th- I think I think I think it's Angus Gunn's jersey now. I think I think it is. I, th- I think he he exudes complete calmness. I think you know coming coming again when the draw was made, <clears throat> and then obviously Craig got injured at, at, at Christmas time. That was probably our our biggest concern coming into this into this uh, this campaign. Yeah. That there was a big big question mark of the goalkeeper and. Angus Gunn has come in and, like you say, four games, three clean sheets, one goal conceded from open, uh, one goal, one goal conceded, no goals conceded from open play. I mean, I think his distribution is great. I think he's great with the ball at his feet. Um, I, yeah, I'm phenomenally impressed with, with with Angus Gunn, and I think he's he's it. He's he is he he is our goalkeeper for the foreseeable. I mean, Craig Gordon, I absolutely adore him. His career has been incredible. What he's achieved uh, in the game. It's unbelievable not to mention that how he's shown his strength of character to come back from such serious injuries. But he's <clears throat> he is 40 years old now. He's got 74 Scotland caps. So I, I obviously if 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 he could come back for say one more one more game in front of the Tartan Army in one of our friendlies, for example, I think that would be a wonderful send-off to his career, almost a testimonial type match. Potentially, maybe he might get the gloves against England in September. That would yeah. be a fitting tribute to his his incredible career for, for club and country. But looking ahead to to the future and to Euro twenty twenty four and the
1: World Cup beyond to Angus Gunn's jersey, do you think, Alan, if, if Craig Gordon was even thirty four or, or five rather than forty, this would be a different discussion? I think you'll. I think we would hear Clark saying
2: the same thing he always does: that whoever's in form, whoever's playing well, has a chance of getting called up. But I think what Clark's shown as a goalkeeper specifically is he, he doesn't tinker and give chances to people he like he picks a keeper who he trusts and they'll get games uh, and as soon as you lose that trust he'll move on um and obviously people can come back in as it's happened but i mean you look at i think correct me if i'm wrong but i think the only two uncapped players in the squad were the two goalkeepers um everybody else is at uh, hyam's had a couple of caps now um I'm pretty sure everyone else has had a cap um um so that just shows you. Obviously, the argument is we've not had a, enough games, but then you had the Turkey friendly. Um, you'll have, a, I guess, a couple of friendlies coming up later in the year. We'll get a chance to see. But I think, like Gordon says, the biggest and best send off is probably the anniversary of game against Eng- England. Given how much, I think you were with him, Gordon, or um, he was heavily involved in the celebrations, wasn't he? Um, yes, yes, he was. Yeah, he was. So
1: I mean, that that fits. That fits nicely. Looking at even further ahead, a couple of questions about the actual Euros themselves. Um <laughs> what's well, complacency? What's what's that? Yes, we'll win. Um, we'll win. <laughs> Michael Grantham, what is the ceiling for this team? I believe knockouts of the Euros is achievable and then bomsky one thousand, how far can we realistically go in this tournament? Is getting past the quarters a pipe dream or genuine opportunity? Well, I'll I'll put the brakes on that for the time being because We've discussed before, Gordon, that getting to the Euros last time was the big box ticker, and we've done that now. We have returned to a major tournament. The next step, especially with the trajectory of the squad and the quality of the players within it, has to be getting out of a European Championship group, especially because of the allowance for four of the third place finishers now if it was still just the top two then that that narrows the the margin for error so so much but the fact that you can win a game and draw a game or maybe even just win a game and lose two and still progress means that I if we were if the Euros was starting tomorrow and we were there I would look at not getting out the group as as a failure given given the way that we have progressed and the quality of the player that we have at
0: our disposal. Yeah, 100%. You know, I, I think I think when you, when, you, when you compare it to how we went to the Euros two years ago, obviously the way we qualified for the Euros going through the Nations League, going through the playoffs, you know, going through the quote-unquote backdoor, as everyone always said, compared to this time where we are on track to, I mean, look, from right now we're on track to win the group because we've won every game so far, but we're on track to qualify automatically. We'll go in with an incredible amount of confidence, not just in how we're playing right now, but in the fact that we've had that big tournament experience. Obviously we spoke at length at the time that at Euro 2020, we came up against teams that knew exactly what they were doing at that level. Czech Republic and Croatia were especially just canny operators in big tournaments. And we were maybe on the naive side in terms of what playing a big tournament was. That is not the case anymore at all. So you're right absolutely the realistic aim and target for this team would absolutely be get to the knockouts. Um, as I mentioned on the last pod, I believe that would make them among the best Scotland teams of all time. It would be something that no Scotland team had ever achieved. And then beyond that, I mean, you look at the team we have now and the spirit and the success and the what we're getting out of it, out of this group of players. And you look at what Wales achieved in 2016 and think, well, why not? You know, Wales, they, they punched above their weight, but they had the same degree of of cohesion, of spirit, of momentum, and they got all that, they rode that wave all the way to the semi-final of the Euros. And that's not to say that's what we'll do, but why not? You know, I, I don't, think we're, we're at the stage now where this team has achieved so much and done so many things that teams, Scotland teams haven't done for decades, if not forever, like when their first four qualifying games. There should be no cap on the ambition of this group of players, and I don't think there is. So, get there go as far as we can and then we'll plan the open top victory bus celebration Get
1: yeah, get there get out the group and then who knows because from that from that point your your route through the tournament can change in the blink of an eye when you get drawn in a group you know okay we're going to have to pick up or try and prioritize picking up points here or there or everywhere because there's a rankings system and the pots For a reason. So it's never going to be an easy group. But look at Wales and Northern Ireland. When they drew each other in the last 16 in Euro 2016, a world of opportunity opened up for both of them. And there was a narrow game that was settled by an OG. So if we do manage to get through the groups of the Euros, should we go on and reach them as we all expect us to now? The last 16 uh, match up should we be able to get out of the group, is where it would then start to get really, really eye-opening, provided that we are able to do ourselves justice what I think we are now, uh, at the level we're at now. Uh, We'll look at what's coming up um, just briefly before we finish off. So that was, and this is our Scotland team now, as everyone in the, as we've touched on and and the Twitter mentions have touched on, defensively solid with our shape, confident in the progression of our possession through the the defence and into the midfield and then into the final third, looking sharp, Assured and exciting, but we've kind of reached a consensus. Consensus. We probably just need a, a bit more of a, a killer instinct in the final third to to really take control of games, and um, and kill them off before it gets to the final ten minutes. And you're thinking, mm, if the opposition score here, then you know, who knows what could happen. It was the same with Cyprus and yeah, Georgia. We were two 0 up last last night, but when when they get the penalty, you can contextualise it. It could have changed things slightly. But we're in. A fantastic shape in the group. 12 points out of a possible 12. What is next for Scotland? We have six more games this year. We have Cyprus away on the 8th of September. Uh, on that night, Spain play Georgia, which Gordon clarified for us earlier is important because that could then mean that on the night that we play England on the 12th, if Georgia and Norway draw, provided we have beaten Cyprus, then that could seal our qualification with three games to go. Those three games are Spain away on the 12th of October. It was actually just confirmed uh, this morning or the day before that that game is going to be played at Estadio La Cartuja in Seville, the stadium where Porto and Celtic played 20 years ago in the UEFA Cup final. Massive stadium, so hopefully uh, there's a little bit of apathy among the Spanish support and we will be able to pack that out with Scotland fans as much as Spaniards. Following on from that, we have a... Friendly against France on the 17th of October, five days after that Spain game. That's in Lille, I believe, guys. I think that's in Lille. And then in November, three games apart, Georgia away, Norway at home to finish up the group, which was a really uh, quite horrid looking into the group, potentially with decisions going for us or against us uh, with results um, which would decide the group. But hopefully, we can have it done by that point, and it's a bit of a celebration against Norway in the final game. So, yeah, look, we'll reconvene towards the end of the summer. We like to do a like a recap of the transfer window as far as Scottish players are concerned. We'll look ahead to the new season, who's playing where, who to look out for, what what should we be hoping from these guys, and um, domestically are playing on the continent. And then suddenly it'll be into the next dupe fixtures: Cyprus away and England at home. When hopefully. We've taken the next step to Euro 24, and we can speak about it with even more certainty than some of us seem to be doing at the moment. So, Gordon, Alan, thanks very much for your time again, boys, and we'll catch up soon. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, thanks, guys. Sports Social Podcast Network.